The following is a presentation of Team Bonding, providing more than 100 live, virtual, or hybrid corporate team-building activities for companies around the world. Visit teambonding.com to schedule your event now. Hello, team. My name is Rich Rinnensland, and I'm welcoming you to Team Building Around the World, the podcast where I speak to people from the team bonding, team building industry from all over the globe. Today, I am very excited to have with me Mr. Guy Baker, the CEO of Catalyst Global. You'll hear the compelling story of how he built a team building empire. But before we get to Guy, this show is supported by Catalyst Team Building Network. Find out more about the world's largest network of team building providers at catalystglobal.com. I'd also like to thank our friends at B1G1, which can make your business a real force for good. Visit B1G1.com to get started. Now, team, in the early 1980s, Catalyst Global CEO Guy Baker started a small team building company in the UK. At the time, corporate team building exercises were tired, hackneyed events, seemingly all from a limited imagination of a small cadre of alpha males. Guy's team broke every mold imaginable, creating dynamic activities that were inclusive, creative, sometimes even wacky. Now, Mr. Baker's team building community sports 50 partners in 90 countries. And welcome to Team Building Around the World, Mr. Guy Baker, everybody. Say hello to him. That's actually just a small group of supporters happily hiding under my desk, Guy. That's all they were. That's so it. thank you. Thank you very much for coming and joining us on the show here, Guy. And I'm very excited to have you. Can you tell everybody, like, not only who you are, but where you are right now? Okay, right now I'm sat in a beautiful cabin which serves as our office uh, down here in New Zealand, a little town called Nelson, which is on the South Island. Um, I moved here about three or four years ago. Uh, prior to that, I was living in Australia, and hopefully you can detect enough of my English accent left behind <laughs> to prove that I'm uh, what they call here a POM or uh, somebody who originally came from the UK. Excellent. So, uh, and that, yeah, and it was it was nice to hear you sum up. It's always, you know, when you, you hear someone's life being summarized in two minutes, <laughs> there you go, wow, did I really achieve all that? Uh, I keep pinching myself. It's it's been a it's been a journey that's flashed by, um, as you say, sort of. I'd like to correct one thing there. I, just, I think it was, I'd like to say it was the mid '80s to late '80s. Otherwise, I think I'd be getting on a bit here. So, <laughs> yeah, I was. I was in the I was in the college in London in the in the early eighties. Um, I did I did communications. So my background has always been in in how people communicate one way or another. So that's how it all started. So what actually made you decide to, like, that you were going to completely redesign team bonding and team building uh, in your own way? Yeah, well, it was interesting. I was in London. I actually stayed in London for 10 years doing a postgrad and, and living in London. And I, and I actually saw a film, I think it was called Roxanne, one of the American movies. Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Yes, Daryl Hannah. Yeah, and, and one of my I favorites. Think really, I think he's got a really big nose in that movie. He does, yeah. Right? He's a fireman with a big nose. <laughs> and, and, I, and I just saw him living in this lovely place. That's funny now because I'm li now I'm living in that lovely place. But at that time, I was living in London thinking, like, why am I doing this job in London when I could be doing something similar in a nicer place. So my first thing was to get out of London and I moved north to Cumbria, which is in the north of England on the borders with Scotland. Sure. And Cumbria was, Cumbria was really the sort of the birthplace of traditional English team building using army command tasks. Ah. So that's the birthplace of, for example, outward bound, outward right. bound, the 
company Outward Bound. Is right. Actually, that's where they, that's where they started. They went into you know they were around the world now. And um, so I moved up there, and when I started, I was at something called Now Get Out of That, which was a very short series, TV series, one of the first reality shows, actually, because people were put into tricky situations, which as a team of people, they had to work their way out of. So with my background in communications, I was observing people acting as teams, and I was thinking, wow, this is, this is pretty interesting. You're putting people into a, a short space of time where a lot can happen it's almost a bit, it's a bit like lord of the flies you know you put six boys on an island mm-hmm. lots going to happen if you put five six people together in a team give them a problem to solve a lot's going to happen in that time so i guess it was from you know a couple of years of observation of, that's where that that comment about the alpha male is correct because if what was happening consistently in those teams was the alpha male would sort of dominate he would sort of rule the roost and sure. his opinion would be and but i was watching teams over a period of years and i was seeing that wasn't the success route the teams that, that were successful were teams which gave everyone a voice uh people who prepared to listen um you know now in this day of covid uh covid19 with all these zoom meetings and that's gone full circle i think the power of listening is uh one of the most important attributes that people perhaps have wow so what does that look like guy i mean i think i can do this better uh, and I'm going to break two rules here. One, I'm going to take people away from having to come to the Lake District in Cumbria. Mm. So it wasn't going to be location specific. I was going to take the challenges to conference hotels. Um, may seem hard to believe, but in the in the mid '80s, that was actually the start of hotels uh, developing space for conferences. I mean, in the '70s, people went and stayed in hotels for uh, work or for pleasure, mm-hmm. they weren't actually, the conference industry isn't that old. I mean, um, you know, for the, uh, those of us that have got older, we've actually grown up with the growth of the conference industry. And it was right. that conference industry and meetings and planning industry that we, we plugged into. So we were able to go anywhere in the UK and deliver events and make people feel that they were in the, the great outdoors of Cumbria, um, but they weren't. They were actually in the gardens and grounds of the conference hotel. Very nice. Now let's talk a little bit more about uh, the changing the actual pattern of way that team building events go. Uh, you must, I mean, you must have faced some rather strict resistance to to that kind of change. How do you go about turning that from this is the way it's always been to you have the better way and they should just right. listen to you? Beautiful question. Um, I always think there's no such thing as luck. I think you make the most of the opportunities as they're presented to you. Well put. And if you're if you're prepared to see them. And you prepare to think creatively and innovatively, you can actually create your own luck. Call it luck, but it's not. So while we were doing these outdoor-based conference sort of activities, my background and my actual interests were still in, you know, art and music. I was still going out to clubs. I was sort of, you know, playing congas in bands and djembe and all these sorts of things as a sort of late late twenties, mid twenties guy. Nice. And I really wanted to bring that into the corporate world, but the corporate world wasn't doing that at the time. This seems amazing, but nobody was doing drumming back then in the, in the, uh, even the early nineties. And, um, so we were really lucky. You probably heard of a company called Microsoft. <laughs> I'm aware of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, back then, <laughs> this is my point. People hadn't. Right. Microsoft were in the UK, uh, late 80s, early 90s. I think I knew all the staff by name. There were 26 people. 
Um, you know, the following year there was 100, the following year there was 300, uh, and so on. So Microsoft um, grew uh, exponentially, and we as a major supplier to Microsoft were doing their team-building events, we were doing their sort of family fun days, we were doing their Christmas parties, uh, we're doing a whole bunch of stuff with Microsoft. We've got a very well, good relationship with mm. the HR department there. And we and they bankrolled my crazy ideas. So every time I said, okay, right, we're going to create the world's largest samba band. We're going to do it on a stage in Ireland. We're going to use um, <laughs> Irish dancers. Uh, Michael Jackson happened to be playing on the stage today. Oh, two days later, Michael Jackson was playing. He needed to set up, but we'd booked that arena. So we said, okay, you can set up earlier if we can use your stage. Crazy things were happening. Awesome. Um, and, and it was back in those days, I guess, I won't say money was no, no object, but it was certainly a lot more free-flowing. So each year Microsoft would say, okay, what have you got for us next? What have you got for us next? And then other companies like British Airways started jumping on and they were flying our staff all around the world just to deliver a Beatsworth event because, you know, through British Airways, they heard that um, it was a great way to finish a conference, uh, so high energy. Um, and, and, and soon, I would say there was a period in the mid-90s where we didn't have to sell anything. All we did was pick up the phone. Really? It was easy as that because we were streets ahead of everybody else. We were doing the huge works of art or beats work. Um, I mean, the story behind that is I, I, I do a lot of adventure sports. Um, yes. And ranging from kayaking through the mountain climbing to paragliding. And I actually broke my knee on a cliff paragliding uh, in Wales. And so I, was, I had my leg in a cast or uh, I guess it was a couple of months, and I, I wanted to paint a work of art. Um, I'm good mixing paint, but I'm not so good with the actual draftsmanship of it. Okay. So we projected this Picasso onto a canvas and drew the Picasso that I was then going to make that break from the outdoors conference uh, venue to, to then start looking at creativity. And to answer your question, you know, being so closely connected to Microsoft in those early days, they sort of bankrolled, um, uh, you know, our, our new development in, um, in team team building. Greg, let me let me ask you real quick. Just going back to those early days, how many of you were even there, and what were you called? <laughs> We've always been called Catalyst. Okay. So we started off as Catalyst Event Management, and with event management, that's why we're doing their Christmas parties and their fun days and so on. But then I realized that there were agencies out there who saw us challenging what they were doing mm. and we wanted those agencies to sell us and they would only sell us if we could go under their umbrella um so they would promote themselves and we pretty much had to stop saying okay we'll organize the the trains the, the transport the buffet etc mm. and so we honed in on what we did best which was team building and team done team dynamics and, you know, we all became, I would say you know, the question, how many of us were, I mean, we started off with just myself and the original partner across the kitchen table, hmm. a man called Martin Ruby. Um, and there was just two of us and it was literally two people. Um, one thing I did do, I spoke to my partner about this the other day is like early on, um, we had a chairman and I think for anybody running a business, this is a really good thing to do. Somebody who sits outside the business, who's not on the board of directors, who's trusted by all the directors, somebody who can actually hover above the company. Um, maybe they've got connections or not, but I think the board listens to the 
chairman, I think if, if, if a company, I'm going off track here a little bit, but mm-hmm. if a company grows just within itself without somebody outside actually managing the dynamics of uh, directorship, sure. um, you know, I, I think one of the reasons we were successful is because we, we actually had two very strong chairmen over, over the process that the company was in the UK. Very nice. Thanks, Guy. Now bear with me for one quick second. I want to take a break to tell you, my listeners, about the Catalyst Team Building Network, an association of team building providers. With representatives in over 90 countries speaking more than 20 languages, the Catalyst Network is widely regarded as the voice of the team building industry. Network members share resources, best practices, and business opportunities. Catalyst partners are learning from each other and pushing the boundaries of what is possible in team building. Catalyst Network members share a common goal of creating highly relevant, socially responsible, and good-valued experiences for their clients. For more information, please visit CatalystGlobal.com. I want to talk a little bit more with the time we have uh, about now. What's happening with you guys today? First of all, how many, as I was just saying, you're, you're in over what, 90 countries. Yes. Well, we're in 90 countries because certain partners have two territories. So, okay. up to three. So, some of the uh, African partners might have a, a license in different territories. I mean, technically, we have 50, uh, 52, I think it is, licensed partners. Um, we, in the early days, decided not to run it as a franchise, by which I mean the, the partner doesn't have to call themselves Catalyst. So, right. The Catalyst brand in America is not actually represented, represented by team bonding mm-hmm. and play with a purpose. So, so we have two partners in the States. Um, you know, obviously, we're in Canada. We're all through Africa, Middle East, nearly every country in Europe. And then uh, it might surprise you, but the more profitable and South, uh, South America as well, and down through Mexico, Central America, Pacific zone. So New Zealand through Australia, up through Indonesia, into Malaysia, Hong Kong, China, Shanghai, Beijing. Um, you know, India, Pakistan now, um, might have missed, might have missed somebody there, but Japan. So, um, they, what's that's given me, it's given me a really interesting, um, outlook on team building across the globe. And I think that's the last 10 years we've been building the global network. Right. So we see, we see, we became the biggest team building company in the UK. And then I personally left the UK organization and moved into the global network to actually develop the global partnerships and to grow new business through uh, global associations. And what kind of benefits have you seen from that change, from that growth? That goes two ways because what that's given us, it's given us access to some of the cleverest minds in team building around the world. So one of our best and best-selling products right now called the Infinite Loop, which started off as when you put on the VR uh, glasses and it's a virtual reality simulation. Sure. You do a bunch of stuff. Your other team members are outside the the goggles and then you're inside. That, in the last two months, has had to be transferred into, you know, an online activity. Mm -hmm. It can be played remotely by people, six people in different places, from anywhere in the world, but in, in your case, it probably be six people all sat in the States. Mm. And they'd be playing that, that activity in the same way they would be playing it as if they were at a conference uh, around the table. And we've had to do that very quickly with several of our events. We've had to be very adaptive uh, and, and agile to, uh, to change what were uh, face-to-face uh, team-building products 
into activities that could be delivered uh, remotely. Fantastic guy. Now tell me, how do you handle things like, I mean, keeping, keeping the team of the network going, even though you're talking okay. about very different social situations. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Even taboos. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the things we, it's like pre COVID and post COVID. So yeah. pre COVID, pre COVID, we had biannual meetings. So our last amazing meeting was in South Africa where everybody came together. We took over a safari park in South Africa. Uh, there was 110 people from all around the world speaking all different languages, all with one thing in common, in that they were masters of team building and running the team building industry in their, in their uh, territory. So we, we, because we've become successful, we get to pick the cream of the crop. Mm. Uh, we might have had five people approach us from Israel, for example, mm. and we do our due diligence on those companies and we find out which is the best one to represent us. And we uh, meet up with them. We spend several days getting a mix. To be quite honest, and as I said to the guys in the States, if you can't sit down and have a beer with me, um, I'm probably not the right person to be. Not I'm saying I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm going to drink ten beers. Sure, sure. But, you know, I, I I'd love to have a beer with somebody, and I like to, and I, I like to have a social engagement with them, so that these people around the world, these fifty partners, have all become amazing friends I'm, I'm one of the luckiest people in the world that i've got an extended friendship network um throughout the planet and pre-covid um i would travel around the world so last year i went to mexico this year i was all set to go to chile and and pakistan mm. uh, and visit partners and face to face i visit i visited nearly all our partners in situ um so that includes places like kazakhstan and lithuania and Estonia and countries you've probably never even heard of. Amazing. Um, and then, and, and then, so every year we had a meeting. Last two years ago, we had this amazing meeting in um, in Africa in a safari park. This year, we're all set to go to an amazing hotel outside Dublin. Uh, all the partners will come together. In the interim years, the the odd number of years, uh, we have zone meetings. So we divided the world up into three zones. We've got the Americas running Canada down to Chile. Mm. And then we've got the Eurozone includes Africa and the Middle East because Dubai is a huge, huge player. Okay. Um, and they sort of feed into the Euro. And then we have the uh, Pacific Asia zone that I mentioned. Mm. And they have separate meetings. Currently, we're running Zoom meetings um, weekly for the Eurozone and sort of monthly uh, for the Asia zone. And so we... we because they have similar uh, issues that they want to deal and talk with. It's become a, I'm not, I'm not saying in a strange sense, but it's almost like a, it's almost like a cooperative where people, and when people join, they can't right. quite get their head around it. Why would I do this or somebody else in the world that I've not actually met, which right. is why it's so important that we have these annual, biannual meetings, mm -hmm. and, and I don't get a return. What's my return for it? Well, the return is that when you're in need of something, somebody else will come around and help you. So we have a chat forum that's like, you know, I woke up this morning, there's 60, 60 items have been entered in there overnight mm. where people are saying, oh, we're doing this. And of course, everything right now is based around, we're doing this on Zoom. You yeah. know, which platform can we do this? How can we have breakout rooms? How, how, who's done this with this? And, there, and, it's, and that's where they help themselves. And they actually literally uh, answer each other's questions. So... As I was saying to some of the other directors, to some extent, our, our, our job is it's got easier in one respect. Mm -hmm. We've built up such a knowledge base, and obviously, it's got harder because we're always having to 
move forward and right the next thing. Right. I, and I love the fact that you, you're asking your own questions now. I can just sit here and listen to you talk for the next <laughs> 20 minutes. But I do want to take a brief second just to talk to my team out there about B1G1, which can make your business a real force for good. When you're a part of B1G1, you bring new purpose, meaning, and relevance to your business by making giving a core of what you do. Unlike conventional giving models, B1G1 helps small and medium-sized businesses achieve more social impact by embedding giving activities in their everyday business operations to create unique giving stories. Every business transaction can impact lives from as little as just one cent. So please visit B1G1.com to get started. That's B1G1, business for good. Now, guy, I want to focus a little bit, if we can, just on you. Um, what, for example, right now, what's one of your favorite events that your company offers? Uh, I thought you might ask that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my my background, if I take you back to that, that comment about being an adventurer, so I was in my mm -hmm. sort of late 20s and 30s, I explored the world with a kayak. Um, I never made it a professional. I did a lot of video work because I did communications and things at college. I've done a lot of filming um, with stuff that ended up on that National Geographic. Nice. So I was filming. I was filming at that sort of level, and I was also kayaking at that sort of level. That sort of so you've had a boring life, is what you're saying? I've had a boring life. I've yeah, been yeah. to Nepal about. I've been to Nepal more than twenty five times. I keep my <laughs> kit. I keep kit in Nepal in Kathmandu. I've been to South America, explored the rivers all through the, the Andes and so on. And I was doing it that time when it was just a joy to travel. Um, you know, we didn't have these long lines at airports. We'd rock up with a kayak. Everybody would wonder what, who the hell we are and what we were doing. We'd get into countries. People were just amazed. They hadn't seen kayaks. You know, when you're doing first descents of rivers in the Himalayas, people just, local people haven't even seen a kayak before. Yeah. And uh, so I created on the background of that, a lot of my friends were getting into professional river running and rafting companies were coming up. We do a great activity called River Runner, where each team is a rafting company who are about to run down a river for the first time, and they, they how many safety kayakers do they take? Um, what's their budget? It's a complicated game. Mm. Uh, there's ten. You need eight people to play the activity because there's there's eight sets of information that each person becomes a specialist in something, yeah, like right. the weather forecast or communications with the radio, <clears throat> planning their route down the river, where they get on, where they get off. Mm -hmm. how they deal with the hippo attack, all these things that I experienced on, um, I have, I was attacked by a hippo on the, on the white Nile in, in, uh, uh Uganda. And, uh, um, when are you going to write uh, your book guy? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so, so a few people have said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's not, I'm hoping it's not over yet. So good. Um, good. Probably right. another half a dozen years left. I'll ghost, working. I'll ghost write it for you. We'll, we'll just take, yeah, do a lot more interviews. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> River Runner, because of my experience in running rivers, would be a, a favorite. After running rivers, I started paragliding and then climbing mountains. So I've climbed several Himalayan peaks um, with all the ice axes and crampons. And there, and there climbing mountains, you see another team dynamic. Um, you see the whole Everest thing where people are paying and, and so on. Yeah. So <clears throat> we, we then created a really, really nice game that's um, actually an app called Peak Performance. So in this one, you climb a mountain in a room. The mountains are you know, at the front of the room. You can see it on a screen, and you can see where the other teams are. They have to go through the ice fall. They have to make numerous decisions. Um, they get movement choices. They get 
they get to choose how many guides they take, how much oxygen they need. They need to understand the effects of altitude, predict the weather patterns so they can work their way when's the best time to make an ascent right. on, the, on the peak. Um, nobody dies in this game. People That's do good. sort of, um, <laughs> they, get, they, get they get helicoptered off, um, rescued, but that, you know, there's a cost to that, as you can imagine. And, um, you know, so you've got things like peak performance, you've got River Runner, um, the fact that I was the first person to bring the big picture, create that after my own paragliding accident. Mm. Um, when I was uh, younger, I'm interested in going into, to, you know, to clubs and nightclubs. I love that whole music scene. I, that's when I came along with the idea of, you know, Beats Work, which is our Samba event. Um, sure. so the Samba, it's a Samba, that, that is actually a story in itself. So we were doing an event for Microsoft, and I think they'd reached numbers of about 600 in the UK and loads of money, and uh, they said, oh, can you do that? So the problem we've got at the moment is sales and marketing are sort of head-to-head -head against each other. Mm -hmm. They're sort of, you know, the salespeople are doing one thing, marketing through another, and of course, you've got a bunch of directors that, that are sort of hovering above all this. We need to do an activity that's going to replicate a company in some way and actually highlight the differences and yet bring them together. Right. So I was thinking, I was, actually, I can remember thinking American football, gridiron, and I was thinking like, yeah, that's, that's, that's you know, you've got specialists that come mm -hmm. to certain positions and do certain things. I was thinking, well, I can't have um, Microsoft people playing American football. That's not going to happen. <laughs> well, what else is, what else is, what else is a big team with differences in it that's coordinated by somebody? So that's why I had the idea of an orchestra. And I thought, ah, I know, we, we could do an orchestra. Mm. So I convinced Microsoft that we would book the Royal Albert Hall, which is the biggest venue in in the in London. You yeah, yeah, no, amazing building. Yes, I said, look, we'll book the Albert Hall and we'll put an orchestra down the front, and then you uh, your people will be in that orchestra, and when they've got to present, they'll stand up from within the cellos, and the guy from the marketing will be in the cellos. There you go. Wow, we didn't know he was there. And then he would do his piece and the screen would be behind and he'd sit back down. The orchestra would play more. And then somebody would stand up from, um, you know, the horn section and they were in sales. Anyway, at that point, it was when Microsoft restructured and wanted to move a lot more uh, emphasis to being based in Ireland, okay. Dublin. I think there were some good tax reasons for yeah. doing that by all accounts. Yep. So they, And they said, guys, we're moving. In, we're not having the conference in London. We're going to do it in Dublin. Well, we want to do the same thing. I said, nah, it's not going to work in Dublin. We don't have the, we don't have the Royal Albert Hall. Right. And I can't get the orchestra in the same way. I can't. So I was thinking, okay, what's like an orchestra now? And it's not an American football team. Um, and I was driving down the motorway. I can remember exactly where I was on the M6. And I saw a sign that's turned off. And I, I was thinking like, that's interesting. Because that sign's, I'm not turning off where that sign is. That sign is telling me that the turnoff is coming up. Mm. This was going through my mind, and on the on the radio there was some samba music, and I was listening to this samba music, and I could hear this whistle, and the whistle was controlling the instruments, in, controlling these people who were probably walking most of the time when they were playing. Sure. And I thought the whistle is like the sign on the motorway. I don't do my thing when the whistle blows. The whistle blows, and it says, "In a count of four, we're going to change." And in the motorway. I change when the line comes, when the deviation comes up, not on the side. This whole thing was all coming together in my head, and I went samba music. That's it. We're going to do samba music instead. So I went to see the London School of Samba head of, and he. I said, "How long does it teach to take samba? Teach, take to teach samba?" And he said, "About two years." 
okay. That, I don't want to talk to you. I went to Liverpool. I yep. went to Liverpool ahead of Samba. And how long does it te- take to learn Samba? Same answer, two years. Mm. Same answer from Manchester, two years. And I went to a party, and there was a drummer at the party. And in the break, I talked to the drummer who happened to work with special needs kids oh. and through his school system. And I said to him, could you teach anybody to play Samba? How long would it take? And he said, oh, I could teach you Samba in about two hours. I said, right, you're the man I need. <laughs> but I, I need the credibility of the other three. Right. So I had a meeting with the head of the London, Manchester and Liverpool schools of Samba who were actually at loggerheads because they competed against each other. London was better than Manchester, was better than Liverpool. <laughs> got them all three together in the same room. I got this, what they call a peripatetic music teacher in the room with them. And I said, okay, we are going to teach a bunch of people who have never touched a Samba instrument to play Samba in two hours. And they were saying it's not possible. I said, yes, it is. Listen to him. He's just told me it is. And so we had this thing. And so they were being totally purist about it. They were saying, like, you know, pure samba. Okay, you right. probably can't be, but you can get close to it. So then we look at the eight instruments that made up a samba band. We broke those down. We worked out how you could clap out all the things first. Mm-hmm. People don't touch instruments for the first 20 minutes. And we had a whole process. And then that's how that led to us doing samba music on the Michael Jackson stage in Ireland in whatever year it was. That's amazing. And that, and that from then on was that massive period where we didn't have to sell anything because it was just uh, the best and it still is i mean it's incredible when because now what you get you get 30 people working together that come together come together come together so you end up with any multiples of 30 so it could be 300 right. or 600 or a thousand people and they all come back together and they play as one big unit cool uh, very nice so um yeah. let me let me ask you though uh, especially being as big as you are in the adventuring and i know it's probably been a while since you've been in front of a group yourself um what what does a man like you go in for for say like an icebreaker or an energizer <laughs> well <laughs> well the funny thing is right now we've been having to do them on zoom meetings so i, had a, I did an icebreaker the other day it's actually it works really well um it's quite a visual obviously because you're on a zoom meeting so yep. i'll explain it to you um, but for the listeners, whether they'll actually grasp it. But right. if you if you uh, take your hand and make the OK sign and hold it out in front of you so there's a ring, mm-hmm. and if you look through that ring, and then my nose, as you're looking at me, is in the middle of that ring, <clears throat> you then cover up your left eye, and about 75% of the people will still be able to see me through that ring, through mm-hmm. the ring, because they'll be looking through my right, their right eye through the ring at, at me. Right. And that's because they're right eye dominant. Right. Because their left eye, their left brain is containing the, the right eye, and the right eye dominant is an, is an indication that they're sort of reasonably methodical, um, more analytical. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if the ones that don't see me are the ones that are left eye dominant, because you'll try it later on, <laughs> the ones that don't see me are left eye dominant. They're controlled by the right-hand side of the brain, and they're the creative ones. And okay. so that little icebreaker is actually intriguing because people learn something about each other. It's very odd that you can't see suddenly when you just cover up one eye and you're looking through a ring. Right. You're only at arm's length away, so you're you know you're about uh, two feet from your from your own eye, mm. and that's the difference between between the eyes. So that, as an icebreaker, I like that because it's and you can develop that. So you can say, okay, what does left brain right brain mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you can play around with that. You can make that quite fun. Um, on the Zoom meetings, of course, you can get people to stand up. Okay, who was left left eye dominant? Okay, look, we can see who the creative people are amongst us. And, right. Right. 
So a lot of you got a lot of nice science going on behind all these things. I like the science. I did a lot of work with neuro linguistic programming or NLP. Um, started in California, I believe, uh, mm. back in the seventies. And most of my staff, when I was in the UK, I would pay for them to go on an NLP course because I believed it was a really good way of getting empathy. Mm. Um, and it, when it's used maliciously by salespeople to sell us stuff we don't want, right, but when it's used right. with integrity. <laughs> it's actually a very interesting way of improving communication skills. Mm. Um, so, uh, so for example, um, people have different preferred um, representation systems. So I'm a, I see what you mean. I see what you mean is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Not I hear and not I hear what you're saying. Sure. So I see because I'm visually orientated. I love visual stuff, whether you can gather that. If the people on the on the thing can't see, but I've got a fist full of global rings, people from around the world. I've got chunky jewelry on it and so on and stuff. That, but every piece is a genuine piece. I can tell you where this came from in Pakistan. This piece came from here. And when I'm traveling, I find it really nice to engage with people. And they go like, well, where did that ring come from? And then there's a whole story behind that. And, mm. you know, and so, on. so, yeah, I'm a very visual person. Uh, and, and if you want to communicate to me, you need to communicate in visual language. You need to paint a picture for me. Um, so if you're a salesman, you need to sell what it's going to look like. Right. Uh, for other people, you might, you might be selling what it sounds like, or, and then the kinesthetic, you might be selling what it feels like. Very nice. Um, so trying to find out, trying to help people find out where they come from, where their, their point of reference yeah. is. That's awesome. That's it. That's it. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, um, guy, we're, uh, we're almost at the point where we're going to wrap up now. Thank I could talk to you for hours just, just <laughs> listening to your story. But right now I, I do have something that I like to do for my audience here, my team, um, where we get into the rapid fire questions. Uh, we're going to do our speed round, which is going to be 60 seconds on the clock. Your objective is just to answer every question you can as short and simple and fast as you can see how many answers you get. All right. Ready? Yep. Here we go. 60 seconds on the clock. Tell us your name. Guy Baker. If you could, do you have any pets? I do not have any pets. Uh, If you could ask a dog (laughs) any question that it would answer, what would you like it to be? Um, How fast you could run away from a bigger dog. (laughs) What's the most courageous thing you think you've ever done? Uh, saved three people's lives on a river in France. You are coming back on answering a lot more questions. Okay, um, who would you like to play you in the movie of your life? Uh, DiCaprio. If you could live anywhere in the universe, where would you like it to be? Right where I am. Very nice. Um, your favorite vacation spot? Um, Lombok, Indonesia. What's your favorite nickname for yourself? Weedo. Very good. Right under the wire. Thanks, Weedo. That's awesome. (laughs) Guy, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. You have been an absolute wonder. Um, I've I've just enjoyed talking to you. And seriously, I would love you to be able to come back at some point because I think we can just go on and on and on about all this, how you built this, how you maintain it, just in that. But that's going to be it for this episode of Team Building Around the World. 
If you like this show, please share it with your friends or a colleague. We'd be grateful if you would subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcast. And remember to leave us a favorable review. If you didn't like the show, you could just shut up about it. It's totally fine. All past episodes can be found at teambonding.com. So that's it for me, guys. I have been Rich Rinnensland. This has been Team Building Around the World. And remember, if you're within the sound of my voice, you're now on my team and I'm on yours. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next time. It's been said that you learn more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. So why not put your coworkers to play with the help of the team at Team Bonding? Team Bonding was founded over 20 years ago with one simple question. How can employees have a great time while fostering strong, authentic bonds between people who work together? Their catalog of innovative events includes scavenger hunts, Jeopardy, and much more. Each activity, whether live, virtual, or hybrid, maximizes the impact of team building with an accent on fun. Visit teambonding.com to schedule your event now. Team Bonding, when you want seriously fun results.